This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds-Keen, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are allowed to look after you. This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Resilient Teacher Roadmap Course, an eight-week online course for tired teachers to learn how to cultivate well-being and build resilience throughout the school year, not just on the school holidays. Because the truth is that the cure for teacher burnout is not self-care. It's actually systemic and cultural change, real workload reduction, and deep abiding community care. Sadly, that's not the world we currently live in. I believe we can get there, but in order for any of us to be involved in creating and receiving the benefits of those changes, we need to survive and function this term, this week, today. The key to that is building resilience and cultivating well-being through self-advocacy, self-compassion and transformational self-care, not just the Instagrammable kind. So the Resilient Teacher Roadmap course is a framework, not a prescription. It's not a quick fix. It's also not PD or an academic course. It's about your beliefs and behaviours and how they impact and keep you on the downward depletion spiral or on the upwards resilience spiral. Yes, you'll learn practical strategies and be given tips, tricks and activities to try at home. But even more than that, you'll learn the skills to continually take into account the reality of your life and work and to differentiate for what you actually need to support your personal well-being sustainably over the long term. Find out more at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash roadmap. And now enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Lil from the Teacher Collection on Instagram. Lil is a primary school teacher in Victoria and she founded the Teacher Collection about two and a half years ago, which now has a series of wellbeing products for teachers. Lil tells us about her struggles in her early years of teaching that led her to creating the first set of wellbeing cards that she has and how they helped her just take small steps regularly to make some changes in her life. We talk about the importance of recognising and labelling our thoughts and our feelings, of being vulnerable and asking for help, and of how wellbeing is different for everybody. Lil tells us what wellbeing means to her and the power of focusing on the things that we can control rather than getting bogged down in all the things that we can't. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lil and I hope you will enjoy the interview. Hi, Lil. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. No worries, Alan. Um, I'm really excited to be here today and learn from you and share a little bit of my pathway as well. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your uh, have, share your, your journey with the listeners. I think it's going to be great. I really Really appreciate you giving your time. So let's get started with just a little bit about your background and your teaching sort of context and teaching history. Yeah. So when I graduated from school, I knew I wanted to do something where I could be outdoors, where I could have some control over what I wanted to do each day and have that variety. And I had some really strong teachers throughout my primary and secondary schooling and particularly in year 12 
some teachers that really showed a lot of empathy and just support towards me and I knew that that was a pathway that I wanted to go down because I really liked caring and supporting others as well particularly kids and I love the energy that kids bring and you know no two days are the same in the classroom no matter how well you plan for it yeah so I went and did my teaching degree in the country I couldn't wait to get out of the city where I was born and yeah I've been there ever since here in central Victoria and I just love it I love the open spaces I love that in 10 minutes you can sort of be in the middle of nowhere and yeah, I couldn't imagine myself anywhere else. Yeah, cool. And your primary school, is that right? Yes, yeah, that's right. I've got grade five, six this year. Yep. And how many years have you been teaching approximately? Uh, this is my sixth year. So I took a year off and did some CIT as I travelled around Australia. Yeah, it was just an amazing experience to work in so many different schools and between sort of two-week contracts and term contracts and just see how different schools in different states did things and I feel like that's really helped me as a teacher just get that breadth of the way that you can do things can be so different there's no sort of one way of operating. Yeah definitely and you know going to different schools particularly in different states would absolutely show that and I think what a great way to kind of broaden your teaching practice as well because you you're not necessarily there for very long so it's um, that CRT you know supply relief work can be really challenging, can be really, you know, a really great learning experience as well. Yeah. And it was, I sort of thought that it would be a little bit detrimental to my sort of job prospects later on. I'd only been teaching a couple of years and I thought, oh, you know, there's that mindset that you need to get on going really quickly. And I was sort of really torn. I thought, do I stay at the school where I'm at or where I'm at or do I take this opportunity? And yeah, I just, I haven't looked back and I think it was one of the best decisions that I've ever done. Oh, that's really encouraging too. You know, sometimes we have to have to take the leap, but I, there is a lot of pressure when you're in your early career to kind of lock in a, a school and get some job security as well. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. So, you know, it's nice to hear stories of where people didn't necessarily follow that path and it worked out well. So, You founded the Teacher Collection, was it two and a half years ago now? Is that right? Yes, it has. Two and a half years and it's gone so quickly. Yeah. Tell us about the Teacher Collection and we'll we'll dive into how it came to be in a sec, but just tell us what it is now and then we'll go back to what it started with and why. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's a wellbeing resource for teachers. So, I create quote cards and affirmation cards that can support and inspire and nurture in the classroom. So, this year I've actually created a wellbeing journal. So, I've spent the first sort of six months of the year really researching and looking at best practice with regards to wellbeing and habit setting and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I released that this year, which was amazing to have that in my hands. Yeah. And you are you working on a leadership pack as well or is that already Yes, out? I have. Yeah. So, I found that there were there was a, a missing link there between early career teachers who are looking to support and develop those leadership skills. So I believe that everyone has leadership skills. Anybody can be a leader. We all have those skills and they're really diverse. So the skills that you use as a leader in teaching can support you as a career as a nurse or in politics. Like they're really generalized skills. So Yeah, I developed these to help teachers 
upskill and strengthen that part of their practice, not so much creating and supporting them in that pathway to a leadership position in the school, but even leadership in the classroom as well because there's, I feel like there's that real stigma that your next step as a teacher is to move out of the classroom into a leadership position, but there's such strong links between those teachers who have been in the classroom for 15, 20 years. They're just such a wealth of knowledge and I don't think that that's really acknowledged as leadership as it should be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because it's leading from wherever you are, right? It's You don't necessarily have to have an official role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I love that. So tell us about, I suppose, your health and wellbeing journey and, and what got you to the point of wanting to create these cards. Yeah, so when I was a grad, I was teaching a, a very small rural school and it was just the most amazing start to my career. Um, the staff were phenomenal and the kids were amazing. The workload for a grad was through the roof. And yeah, I, I really struggled with that. There were days where, you know, I'd be at school at six o'clock in the morning and wouldn't leave till 6 30, 7 o'clock at night. And that created a whole heap of different challenges for me. And it was just, I guess, my lack of skill, my inability to recognize that I needed to set boundaries or that sort of thing. As a grad, I didn't really know what was expected as a teacher. You know, it was my my first school and that's right. I thought this is what teachers do. This is This is my life now. And it wasn't until sort of three, four years later where I'd suffered incredible burnout and all sorts of mental challenges were were happening. And yeah, I thought this is really, really tricky. There, there needs to be something that can support me because often as teachers, our, our colleagues, we're just so busy. There's just so much to do and it can be tricky to find time to check in on your colleagues and check in on yourself and think to yourself, oh, hey, you know, I don't need to be doing that at the moment. I'd like to, but I don't need to. So I created these, for me, I created them on some little bits of cardboard and I popped the quotes up in my classroom and I got my husband to sand a little stand for them. And yeah, I just had them in my classroom and a colleague came in one day and yeah, she noticed them and she said, oh, you know, we were talking about them and yeah, she asked for a set. So I went and um, (laughs) made her a set as well. And yeah, it slowly sort of filtered through the school and friends of friends asked for some and yeah it really started off as something for me a place where I could look in the classroom and think yep there's my inspiration this is why I'm here that quote says it to me today and yeah it's just grown from there and at the moment with the cards I'm able to put different professional reflection questions and mindfulness strategies on the back and just, I guess, building my capacity and building other people's capacities to recognise when they are well and when their wellness is fluctuating and just have that toolkit so they know, okay, I can use this at this time to support me or, okay, I, I need to set a boundary here because this is taking up so much of my time and energy. So I guess it's just creating that skill set to support teachers. And it's, you know, it's for those times really when you're like, from what it sounds like when you were developing it, you were struggling a bit. And when you're in that place, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you know, like 
you don't necessarily have the energy or the headspace to be able to take that step back and think, well, what would be the best thing for me right now? But if you can have a little tool that you just shuffle the cards and you pull one out and it it prompts you and like you don't have to do the thinking work, you don't have to do the decision making because we already do so much of that, like, you know, when the workload is so high and we're already so fatigued, it just takes that that mental load off and then it's a tool that you can then use to support yourself in a moment when you don't you need a bit of support but you don't necessarily have the energy or the you know the headspace to to know what you need yet that's exactly right i found that often yet yeah, you're just not in that you don't just don't have that strength to go on and research or find a strategy it's all you know it requires a lot of mental strength whereas if you practice small steps regularly, lots of little things in a small space. They almost become habit and they become small things as part of your toolkit. And then you can use those small things to create bigger changes, more impactful things. And yeah, it's just about doing the small things. Like this isn't, it's not a game changer. It's not going to be, you know, something that is in, you know, all the uni textbooks and prescribed worldwide. It's just a a little thing that I found that really worked for me. And from those little things, I've been able to make bigger and stronger changes. Yeah. But you know what? I think so often we're we're searching, especially in those moments of of challenge, we're searching for that magic pill, that one major thing that's going to solve all our problems. And actually that quick fix doesn't really exist. And what we actually do need to recognize is that the reality is that usually the change comes from those small little daily things that we shift one at a time incrementally, you know, but regularly, incrementally, but consistently. And that starts to add up over time and get us onto the right track and, and you know, build up our resources so that we have more in the tank to, you know, go forward and, and meet the challenges. It's It's not that magic pill overnight change um, that, that we are seeking when we're in pain or when we're struggling or, you know, we just want that, we want that to be solved. It doesn't really work like that. Yes, you're so right there. It's so versatile and so different for everyone. And with the research that I've been doing, I've re- really been loving deep diving into all the research. Like it's just so broad, not just specifically related to teaching, but, you know, that whole well-being mindset stuff as a whole and it's just so interesting because what works for some people is not as effective for others and it you know it really takes into account what you value and your interests and it's so much of it is related to you and knowing yourself and knowing what you are interested in and recognizing your emotions being able to label your emotions like it's okay I'm not just feeling tired you know I might be feeling frustrated or oh, this isn't anger, this is sadness, you know, I'm sad that I'm not being acknowledged. Or Yeah, it's just, it's a real skill that I feel like is being missed somewhere, like being able to, I mean, this is what I teach the kids all the time and we do this as teachers all the time, teaching them to recognise and label and regulate their own emotions and recognise it in other people. But yeah, it was a real light bulb moment for me when I came to being able to recognize my thoughts and my feelings and, yeah, I'm feeling this, I can do this to help me. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, you know, that it is different for everybody because I think there's a, you know, especially in the social media world, that there's a lot of comparison that happens. But even like I remember you said back in your early career, you know, you didn't necessarily have the skills yet to 
set the boundaries or to know what the expectations were and which ones were kind of must do and which ones were nice to have. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that we're all so busy and, you know, at work, we're not always checking in on each other. But also, I feel like it's so easy to look at the other people in the staff room and assume that they've got it all together and that they're not struggling with anything like this either because we also have a bit of a culture of kind of soldier on, get on with it, you know, and and teachers are so capable, so capable that if we're not actually checking in on each other and or on ourselves, we're not or almost being honest and self-aware enough to say, hey, I'm, you know, this I'm struggling with this or this is challenging for me. Um, and it doesn't mean everything is a mess, but just this this particular aspect is is a challenge for me. And when we start to open up about that, you know, it can really open up some beautiful conversations where other people say, hey, me too, or I've been there too, you know, it doesn't last forever, or this is what I did to to help, or, you know, just being, and there needs to be psychological safety with our colleagues to be able to do that. You know, it's not always the case, but it can really, when we're honest about that with ourselves and with each other, it can really open up some beautiful conversations and connection points. I agree with that so much. And it does take that little bit of vulnerability and it doesn't have to be a big thing, you sharing a massive thing that's happened in your life. It can just be sharing a little bit from the day, oh, I found this lesson really hard or, gee, I'm struggling to create an intervention for this student at the moment. Can you help me? Getting people to, people love helping other people. And I had a mentor tell me this once in my early career. She said, you know, she was seeing that I was really reluctant to ask for help. And we were sitting there trying to unpack that and Yeah, and she said to me, she goes, have you ever asked for help and had someone say no? And then I sort of sitting there and, you know, she knew the answer, I knew the answer. And people feel really good. They feel valued when they are able to assist other people, when they're able to help other people, whether that be sitting there for a a cup of tea or showing them a new software for their coding or, you know, a strategy for teaching phonics. It's People like to be valued and included and just something small like that can start to create that safe environment where people might feel that they can share things later on. Again, it's just that small thing that builds that trust, that builds that relationship that can really help someone. Yeah, and and I think that your, you know, your story about the way your cards came about from you had just made them for yourself and then it sparked a conversation with that colleague that's the perfect example where it was quite, you know, it's just a small moment in the day and it just turned into this conversation where you actually had a genuine moment of connection and then one thing led to another and now, you, now you've got multiple multiple wellbeing products. But um, And I know, like, I know it's not for everyone. I've had people come to me and say, oh, I can just write some on cards and print them. And I think, you know, that's fine. If that's where, where you're at, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's websites that have them where you can print them and download them and and that's totally okay you know we are all able to do different things because what works for one doesn't work for everyone just like in the classroom it's differentiation we need that as adults as well yep i agree so what does well-being and self-care you know look like in your life these days lil well it's come a lot from me learning a lot about myself being able to recognize and label my values and my emotions that sort of self-discovery has helped me a lot. I did a course late last year, a leadership course, and part of that was about unpacking your 
um, communication strategies, how you communicate with others, how you solve problems, that sort of thing. So that upskill in that. And I realized that something that was I was finding tricky with my well-being was that I would recognize that I might have been feeling a certain way, but then not have the strategies to act on it. So really the past few years have been me experimenting with different things that I use to help me. So something that I really like is mindfulness. I find it really tricky just to sit still in a seat and, you know, listen to a mindfulness podcast or things like that. A meditation. A meditation, yeah. I often go for walks. So I'll just drive out of town, find a dirt road and just go for a walk down that road and and just notice the notice the the sound of my shoes and my feet as I walk on the gravel or the sounds of the birds, the wind, what I can see with my eyes, just sort of immersing those senses in a quieter environment that helps to really regulate me. I've also been doing a lot of journaling. So I've been experimenting over the past year and a bit with a few different journals. And I feel like what I've created has been the journal that I have needed. So a journal that is just something that's short, so two minutes a day, or you know, you can sit there for longer thinking about those moments of gratitude that you've noticed in the day or thinking about different friends that you'd like to catch up with or special moments, that sort of thing. So Yeah, that's something that has really helped me and I've been reading The Resilience Project and listening to The Imperfect Podcast and what Hugh and his team have created there is just such a safe environment and they're just constantly giving different strategies that I've been able to implement within my space. And look, some weeks, Alan, I just feel on top of the world. I feel so great and feel like I'm nailing things and then other times, like, you know, it takes a bit of a dive and my social well-being might be all out of whack or it might be my physical well-being because I'm getting unwell and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's a constant ebb and flow. It is, yeah. Yeah, it constantly changes and it's, I'm aware of that and I know that it's, it's not a bad thing to have changes. It's when those changes are really sustained for a long period of time that, you know, I might need to tap into some specialist care. But yeah, it's just recognizing and using a lot of preventative stuff as well. So if I know that, you know, week six is just going to be a massive week, I might buy some pre-made meals or get some like a meal prep kit or that sort of thing ordered for those two weeks. So I know, okay, I can support my physical health by having some really nutritious meals ready to go. Or, you know, if I've had a, a really tough week, I might message a friend and see if we can go for a walk around the lake and just have a chat or have a coffee and that sort of thing. So it's sort of, it's gone a lot from reactive to preventative. And there's still days where I just, you have really tough ones and it's just all reactive. You're trying to do this and this and this to help yourself. But I feel like integrating more of those preventative strategies has really helped me personally. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, there's always going to be those days where, you know, like we're never going to get rid of those days where everything's been derailed and, you know, it's all reactive. But I think you're so right. Over time, once those preventative strategies start to to make the long-term shifts that they make, because that's why we do them, then those hopefully those reactive periods are shorter and further apart between them. 
but also when you're self-aware, you can check in and, like you said, oh, you know, I think I'm starting to get sick. Like maybe I need to, you know, have a day off or get an early night or whatever, or I know week six is going to be hectic, so I need to make sure that I'm organized and prepared to look after myself like in advance rather than getting there and then just eating Nutella out of the jar at yeah. <laughs> for dinner. Like, <laughs> you know, making sure that we're being proactive just actually is almost a gift that we give to our future self for those reactive moments. That's right. And I think having the conversations around it really normalizes it. It really shows that, yeah, you know, it's okay to have tough weeks. It's okay to be the deputy principal and be really struggling and things like that. That's totally okay. And that we have this support network at at school or at home that can help us or, you know, the, there's ways that we can support ourselves. And a lot of that for me has come from research, looking at different things that have worked on a research scale, yeah, and even chatting to others and tr- just trying different things, having that open mind and thinking, I can try this. Yoga used to be something that I just didn't bat an eyelid. I just thought, okay, that's not my thing. But I found that, again, moving my body in that state of mindfulness, I need to be moving. If I'm sitting still, it just doesn't work for me. That movement has really helped because my brain is just so focused on doing that one activity. I just sort of forget about all the other stuff. And it's, um, yeah, I found that that's something that's really helped me. But for others, yeah, it might not work for them. And, and that's okay because we're all different. But you've got to give it a go, right? And like That's right, yeah. Have a try and then see if it does actually work. And if it doesn't, that's okay. It's totally fine to say, actually, yoga is not for me. But if you've not tried it, maybe give it a go before you decide that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not like there's lots of different strategies that we can use. And I'm well aware that a lot of the challenges that we face in teaching, we actually don't have control over. And I'm well aware that, you know, doing two yoga sessions a week isn't going to solve that problem. It's not going to solve you know, a a crowded curriculum and underpay or whatever you perceive the challenges to be in teaching. They're they're big and a lot of them are are way above, you know, the single teacher in the classroom trying to get through the day. And I guess it's just about you thinking about what's in your sphere, what you can control and trying to the best of your capabilities to put in place different things to support you and to control those things you can control. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and it's because it's, it's you know, we need to recognise what are the things that we can't control and what are the things that we can. Well, you have shared so much gold today, Lil. Did Other than what we've already said, shared, is there any other advice or tips that you would give to early career teachers in particular to set themselves up for, you know, a thriving time in the classroom and in life? Yeah, I I think for me, I wish I had asked for help more. I sort of went out of uni and found myself in the classroom and was very, very overwhelmed, but everyone else around me seemed to have it together so well, even though they'd been teaching, you know, for three, four, ten years, whatever. To me, they all had it together so well, so therefore I needed to do that as well. And I was so reluctant to ask for help because I didn't want to be seen as another grad who had no idea or, you know, all those sort of shortcomings that I was thinking inside my head that no one else was thinking. But, 
Yeah, (laughs) as you do. I wish that I had asked for help earlier and recognised that, okay, I'm not sure what to do here, I'll ask for help. And I think that that's a real strength in people who can ask for help and confidently say, you know, this isn't going well for me. Can some people support me? That's, um, yeah, I see that as a real strength. And again, it depends on your school culture. I know there's some people within the schools where they work that, you know, that's really frowned upon and it must be so challenging. But I think having that that ability to ask for help and recognise, okay, I need support now, that's that's a big thing. Yeah. And you know what? Like anyone that you're working with who isn't a first-year teacher was once a first-year teacher. We get it. You know, like it's you don't know everything. You're still learning. You're, you're still having to develop your own practice and figure out what the – even when you're you know new, at a new school, like there's still new things that you learn and because every school does things differently, as we said. But, like, I think that's such good advice. It's hard. It's never, ever easy to ask for help, but it is important and it makes a difference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lil. Do you want to tell us where people can connect with you and come and grab a set of your cards if they want to or just look at your beautiful photography? Yeah, no worries. On the website, it's www.theteachercollection.com. I've got all the stuff up there. And, of course, you can find me on Insta at The Teacher Collection as well. I'm always putting bits and pieces up on there. And, yeah, I'm really loving having a go at all the graphics. (laughs) Yeah, I love your graphics and, and your beautiful native flowers and all of that's gorgeous yeah, it's just so beautiful getting out and about yeah and we will link all of that in the description of this podcast episode so you should be able to swipe up and click away and and find lil and thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom with us today oh no worries alan i'm really grateful that you've invited me to be part of your community and yeah i hope that there's someone listening out there who can get something out of what i've said i'm sure they will i'm sure Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.